that call from Summer, I think, was one of the most powerful moments in that courtroom by far. The terror in her voice, the disbelief, the anger, the rage, it echoed off the walls. Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we're all just trying to survive in a rough world. What's up, STS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, and we're about to reunite with family, and it feels oh so good. As you know by now, Lori Vallow Daybell uh, was found guilty on all charges of conspiracy to commit murder as well as murder and a fraud charge as well, and she now sits in a Madison County, Idaho jail awaiting her sentencing, which could take up to three months, and we'll talk about why. Uh, but she is all but certain to spend the rest of her life behind bars. As you know by now, it is the trial of the so-called doomsday mom, the wildly twisted story of a seemingly loving mother, a self-proclaimed devout member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, who clearly veered way off course and five bodies piled up around her. Uh, But of course, she was convicted after the jury deliberated for about seven hours. Best guest tonight, you know her well, Good Lori. Good Lori Hellis is an author and a retired criminal defense attorney. She moved from the sunny confines of Arizona to Boise, Idaho, where I hope it's warming up, to help write her book titled Children Children of Darkness and Light, which is also the name of her YouTube channel. And her blog is called The Lori Vallow Story. And she is coming off the wedding of her daughter's wedding. So mazel tov, as they say in uh, the world of Jewish people to you, uh, Lori. And then, of course, we've got Gigi McKelvey, who does not love the rock star, the host of the popular true crime podcast, Pretty Lies and Alibis. I think we tried to book Gigi every week of the trial, but you know how it goes. You got News Nation, you got Law and Crime, and of course, she's got her podcast. So couldn't make it happen till now. Uh, she spent the six weeks in Boise traveling back and forth. She's also a rock star mom. So uh, she might have to taper uh, taper down the the length of these trials so her kids don't yell at her. Um, but obviously, uh, she is neck deep in the Lori Vallow Daybell story still. Uh, she's probably the lead podcaster on all of it with over 50 episodes, and she is still going strong. A couple of quick housekeeping points, and then we'll dive into it. Facebook, Insta, Twitter. Please follow us. Twitter, it is at Podcast STS. By the way, Phil and Scott's show on Fridays at 12.30 p.m. Eastern is going to be moving to 5 p.m. Eastern because Detective Phil Waters has a rough life and he spends the spring and summer in Hawaii uh, and he likes to sleep late. So 5 p.m., send your hate mail to Phil. Uh, You can become a Patreon uh, supporter, YouTube member. The merch store is wide open. The giveaway winners are going to get their uh, swag shipped to them. And tomorrow, 5 p.m. Eastern time, we're doing a very special Patreon and YouTube member event. And Carm requested good Lori Hellis to be the best guest, and she obliged. So it will be Carm and good Lori, and you can ask them about anything, about weddings, about Lori Vallow, whatever you want to ask them about, you can ask them about, I think. So, welcome. Um, First question, Gigi, to you, uh, because obviously the most important, and this always gets overlooked, are the victims. I know you're tight with Kay and Larry. Um, How are they doing now that the verdict was read? Lori uh, ultimately will be spending the rest of her life behind bars. 
Uh, do they have a sense of justice now? I know Larry spoke to the media and says it's still not over. Nowhere near over. I mean, and we saw that yesterday with a new indictment. Does, does Lori just keeps on giving. I mean, you know, sometimes I think, what am I going to do for content? And then Lori pops into my newsfeed again. So there you go. I think there is a huge sense of relief with Kay and Larry and Kresha and with Annie Cushing and all the family members that uh, Jerry Vallow, who is just a hoot, uh, you know, one down, many to go. Unfortunately, you've got Chad's potentially. You've got the two charges in Arizona for Lori, uh, but all very important. So for now, they can take a breather and just feel, I think, a little bit more uh, calmer that justice has been served with Lori and it's coming for Chad. I mean, if Chad <laughs> Chad thinks he's going to get off, you know, well, I mean, he was the brother of Jesus in another life, so maybe it's possible. But um, no, I, I and I think that that they are ready to just be still. You know what I mean? Just just have some family time, just time to digest. Because the thing is, during the six weeks, they learned a lot of stuff in a room full of people, including Lori Vallow, that was not pleasant. They saw things that were not pleasant in a room with a woman who was responsible for what happened to poor people. And so, you know, maybe just some chill time now. I hope they are resting and sleeping and napping and just enjoying every day right now as much as they can with what they've had to go through. Well said. And uh, one of the jurors is speaking out. We'll get to that momentarily. But uh, Lori, uh, you had a wedding the, the weekend this verdict was read. You were kind enough to hop on with us for a few minutes on Friday. But now that you've had some time to digest this verdict, what's your uh, what's going on in your mind? Um, is it at all a little bit of an emotional letdown because, you know, you're so focused um, on the trial and now it's over um, or are you of the same mindset as Gigi that it's kind of just beginning in a lot of ways? And does that complicate your book process? Well, in a lot of ways, it is just beginning. Um, I, I think for me, um, the exciting part now gets started because now I can really dig into a lot of the files and the information that wasn't available because it was embargoed because of the trial. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting that in Idaho, there are exceptions to the Freedom of Information Act um, that for cases that are pre-trial and still pending investigations. So um, a lot of the detail that the prosecutor had, um, I couldn't get my hands on until this until the verdict. So I'm sort of excited to dig into that piece of it. Uh, sensory combustion, Gigi and good Lori, holy crap, proven best guess. I told you it's not a tagline. It is reality. And you see why now <laughs> two of the goats, uh, right? Look at this. Gigi is the goat. I hope she's sexy and she knows it. Impressive work <laughs> on Lori Vallow Daybell trial. Thank you from the bottom of my pea picking heart i would assume that that is southern lingo right there very southern pea picking and she continues i love this and now i'm shutting up greeting sts nation we are proud and true no look i'm gonna show you guys my shirt don't be a lady be a legend there you go (laughs) i love it i love it uh summed up uh delia ruiz uh making a very good point uh i pray for justice it looks like we're a little bit on our way to getting some um, Gigi, to you, I saw you tweet something kind of interesting. You said that Lori was sort of 
checking out a young woman uh, throughout some of the trial proceedings. You said she looked a little like Ty Lee. Tell us about that. She looked a lot like Tylee Ryan. It was eerie. She was there with, I, I believe, uh, her mother pretty much every day. And I noticed her very, very early on. I said, wow, you know, I pointed out to everybody, she looks like Tylee. And not just a little bit, it was a lot. And so I watched Lori watch her because typically we all kind of claimed our spot in the courtroom and sat kind of in the same spots every day. And Lori would look at her, sometimes glance and look away. Sometimes it would be a long stare. I've heard right before the verdict was read that she stared at her for a while. So you have to wonder what's going through her mind because it, it was not just a slight resemblance. It was uncanny. And um, and she was a super nice girl. But yeah, that was uh, very fitting, I think, because, you know, I hope that it haunted her to look in that crowd and see a girl that looks so much like her daughter. By the way, the girl, I believe, is the same age Tylee would be as well. Wow. That is uh, interesting, creepy and kind of wild all at the same time. Um, and I wonder what was going on. In Lori's uh, mind. Speaking of that, uh, Gigi McKelvey, uh, you are a, uh, a journalist. You're on a lot of the big programs. Mona Rifkin wants to know and keep the questions coming, STS Nation. That's why we're here. Uh, what would you ask Lori Vallow if given the opportunity or say to her, I guess? That's a really good question. That's a loaded question, other than the obvious of why or was it worth it? Obviously not. Um, God, I mean, I would ask real aside from just the obvious, I would be like, really? Let's let's put a picture of Chad and Charles side by side. You know, just I, I mean, I don't know. It's I would love to interview her. I'm not a journalist, I'm a podcaster, but you know, it, I don't know. It's just so loaded. It's it, I don't know. Yeah, my mind's blown right now. And that's a very basic question. And, and I would say, how's Jill? You know, how you liking your forever home now? Because she moved around a lot. She ain't moving around much more now. So, um. And uh, Lori, you're writing a book. So um, if you could interview her for the book, uh, what, where would you start with her? And, and will you try? You might be able to get her. You don't know. Will you try? I absolutely will continue to try um, because I would very much like to interview her and Chad both. Um. I I know that this may not be the most popular uh, feeling for people who have strong opinions about the case, but I think it's important to understand her perspective as odd or as warped or as incomprehensible as it might be. I would very much like to hear what she has to say. And, and I think my first question would be over and over again, she has said, someday you'll understand. You just don't understand. I, my first question would, would be, help me understand. Um, does that mean that I would feel that what she did was defensible? Absolutely not. But I, I, one of the reasons why I was so interested in this story from the beginning <clears throat> was because a mother who participates in the murder of her children is so incomprehensible to the average person and certainly to, to parents. So I, that would be my question to her would be if, if the 
world doesn't understand, help us, help me understand what it was in your thought process that made this okay, necessary, whatever it is that she she felt that it was necessary to do. Uh, Jennifer M. writes, with Gigi and the good Lori here, all we need is Miss Carm, and we would have the trifecta of awesome, talented ladies. Uh, <laughs> it is not too late. You can uh, support us on Patreon or become a YouTube member, and tomorrow you get two of the three. And Gigi, you're welcome to hop on, too. You have an open invite, so I'll let you know. And if you want to hop on with uh, good old Carm and good Lori, uh, we can do a casual Zoom virtual meet and greet, everyone. So uh, you can also... Uh, messages in the chat, and you can harass Gigi and tell her to join us. I'll put pressure on her, and then maybe I'll do her. it. I'm game. <laughs> I, I've got my week open. It's kind of one of those things where I'm putting out a little quick episode tonight, or I've already recorded. I have to edit it, but it's been nice just like being in mom mode again, like waiting in the car line at the middle school. Never thought I'd be happier. Yeah, I have Grammy in the car, 88 today. Took her to the doctor. We went shopping. So yeah, I'm kind of wide open. So I would love to hop on tomorrow night. That'd be awesome. So we will do it. We'll have the good Lori and Gigi McKelvey on a meet and greet with Carm for Patreon and YouTube members. Um, Gigi, I mean, you were literally in this courtroom every single day or almost every single day, if not every single day. Um, missed one day. I took my daughter to see Taylor Swift in Atlanta. Priorities, family. I love it. I love it. She doesn't mess around, uh, Gigi. But how are you feeling now is, I mean, I, I've been there where I've covered very big events and there's just crazy adrenaline and it, it, it runs and runs and runs. At the end of the day, you usually get a drink with some coworkers. What's it like to be back home now after covering such a high profile case? It's actually a little weird. I feel like I need to be somewhere and I, and I have nowhere really that I have to be. And so that adjustment is hard. I, I, I When I covered Alec Murdoch down in Walterboro, the first time long crime were gracious enough to ask me if I would do it. Um, it, you know, I felt the same way you come home and you know, you don't have to go back because I was making really quick hops home over the weekend. So for six weeks, I only missed two weekends not being here. And so I just feel like I'm constantly looking at my phone for some kind of an alert. I have to be somewhere, but ultimately like coming in here and looking at these pictures here, it's such a sense of relief in a big way that. With Lori, you know, with the incompetency for 10 months, and then we had that little scare at the end of the year last year, the fact that the trial went off without a hitch and we got the verdict that we feel was just and needed for these horrific acts, it's a relief really to be home just as a whole, knowing that one down and Chad to go, maybe others in other areas associated with the case with Brandon or whatever, but just relief in a big way for a million reasons and or the families that this part is over. Just yeah. Well, well said. Uh Maya Rodriguez uh Sorensen. This is gonna be so fun. I love SCS listeners' questions. I usually don't get to be on a live, and this is with Gigi and Good Glory, the best follow here. I love this one. Carrie G, I was not gonna tune in tonight. How dare you? But uh they had to go <laughs> and invite Gigi. I can quit STS whenever I want. No, you can't. As I say, it's safer than crack. It's a good addiction, <laughs> STS, a very good, healthy addiction. So uh, be addicted. Um, Gigi, back to you. What about, um, you know, the camaraderie in the courtroom? Obviously, Nate, e Nate Eaton did a fantastic job with East Idaho News. you got Justin Lum, uh, the Phoenix uh, local station. They've been all, all over this. 
Describe the, the camaraderie. I know you even gave the bailiff a nickname. I think you called him Big Daddy, maybe. So uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, the camaraderie of covering a case like this and who this bailiff was. So it was Court Daddy because he was the one that was the enforcer of the rules that he gave us every morning. And then at the beginning of or after every break was over, he, just great people, you know, from the court staff, from the minute you walk in and go through the metal detectors until... You know, you leave the at the end of the day, everybody in that courthouse was so gracious and the circus was in town and they treated us very well. As far as just in the courtroom, you know, I've said this several times since I've gotten back, which is there was no competition. This was a collaboration for justice. And it wasn't about what you do or what I do or how we do it or how are your ratings or how many numbers are you getting? It was, hey, I didn't catch that. Can you please tell me what I just missed? And yeah, here you go. This is exactly what was said because the passion in people like Nate Eaton and Justin Lum and Lori and people who have followed this for years and years and years, it's personal. It's not a competition. And I've always said this many times, true crime should never be a competition. We all have something unique we bring to the table. We all have a different way of presenting it. And it's all useful when it's right. If you're not doing it for the right reasons, walk away. Don't ever come back to this unless it's just about the victims. And that's what six weeks was in that courtroom, not only with journalists, but with locals. They became part of our narrative in that courtroom. And we formed bonds with people that just were average Boise citizens who were lucky enough to get a ticket that day. And some were consistent. So it was just like a big family in there. And it was all, you know, 70 plus people wanting justice for these victims and there were no egos, everything. It was just open hearts and heavy hearts at the same time. Um, so the good Lori over here, uh, you know, I'm writing a book, so I'm always curious about the process of other authors. Uh, and I've asked you about this before, but now that the trial is over, um, is this book something that you're now going to be working on daily? And, and where do you start with it? I mean, are you pulling court records? How are you organizing all this? So. Since I got home from Los Angeles on Monday, I have been pulling together Freedom of Information Act requests um, and finishing up drafting some motions to unseal some of the documents that are still sealed in the court file and um, getting those requests out. So that that's part of where I've started. Um, you know, in a nonfiction book, you write a book proposal. So I had uh, something of an outline to begin with. And um, I'm, I'm starting chronologically, but with some sort of flash forwards and flashbacks. So, you know, I sort of have an opening tentatively written at this point, and then sort of an outline of where I go. But that's certainly going to fill in as I uh, as I go through all of the court records and, and some of the things that we haven't had access to. And do you have a word count that you're aiming for? Books are generally like somewhere between 70,000 and a hundred and whatever thousand words. Right. I'm, I'm kind of aiming for about 90,000, but um, we'll see. I, I think that's where my publisher would be comfortable with the book coming in. And I'm, I just got to 40,000 words and I feel like it's like an ultra marathon and my feet are killing me and I have to lay down, but right. the process continues. Um, so I know you're very, uh, you have a lot of intimate knowledge about Melanie's uh, Gigi. So Kathleen Barrett is writing here question for Gigi and good Lori. 
you think bad Lori's niece should be charged? Gigi, uh, do you want to answer that? I think it's all going to depend on what digital evidence they found linking her because that's really a lot of this case has revolved around a bunch of knuckleheads who are committing crimes that don't think maybe we shouldn't put this in a text. She's a little bit younger. Maybe she was a little more cautious. I don't know. But listen, like four or five people knew of that address. She was one. The other people certainly wouldn't give that address to Alex Cox. So I don't think it's a coincidence. I hope they have enough to charge her. Just kind of wondering, you know, are they just going to let this settle with Lori and then announce more? I'm very curious, but I do think she needs to be charged. I mean, she's kind of become Teflon in this case where it seems like she's gotten away with everything. And, and you know, I know a lot of people were upset that she didn't testify um, while she was there in court, just not visible to everybody. But um, I, I, I really do hope for Brandon's sake because, you know, he deserves justice for what nearly happened to him. Thank goodness Alex was a crap shot unless you were three feet in front of him. Um, he missed Tammy Daybell. He missed um, Brandon. Unfortunately for Charles, that poor man didn't have a chance. You look at the crime scene photos, he barely got down the steps. I don't think he knew what was coming. So I hope that that everybody who was involved in that planning gets charged. I'm curious too to see if Chad is going to be charged. But I don't know. This may be a good question for Lori. Do you feel like we would have seen that already if it were coming? Or are they going to stagger out these indictments? Well, I think that from the beginning, Idaho and Arizona have had an agreement about um, the, the order in which these cases were going to be charged. I wasn't at all surprised to see an indictment for Brandon just come now. I think that we are only scratching the surface on what we're going to see out of Arizona because I think that they were sort of respectfully sitting back on their punches and waiting until the uh, the Idaho case was resolved. So now I think we're going to see more action come out of Arizona. I know that Arizona has said that they intend to ask for her to be extradited there. Um, that won't happen until after her sentencing. But once she's sentenced, then she'll be extradited back to Arizona and um, arraigned there. She was charged, indicted in Charles' uh, conspiracy to commit Charles' murder a year last year, last February. So that one's been pending for a year. Speedy trial doesn't begin to run until she's actually arraigned on the indictment. So they're not in any hurry to get that piece underway. But um, it would not surprise me at this point for there to be additional charges and additional people being charged. And uh, Gigi, we did a show, uh, you know, while you were covering this trial about uh, Lori's inner circle. What's the deal? She's talking about Melanie's. I mean, she met her husband, Ian. They got married in 10 days. Uh, just, I mean, forget Lori and Chad and Alex, but this other level of friends, I mean, wackadoodles all around. Um, do you think it, it, it bleeds over bad word to use there, but into, uh, culpability in any way? Um, I mean, are any of these people, I mean, maybe Melanie, but I mean, it seems like some of these friends of the inner circle had an inkling of what was going on, but just stayed quiet for whatever reason. They all did. And everybody on that stand that was in their inner circle tried to minimize their 
what they believed and their role in this. For example, when with and I, I'm not judging anybody, but when Audrey was on the stand, um, it shocked me to learn that she had inquired about Tammy and what percentage or whatever, and then use the emoji with like the X's in the eyes, which essentially is a dead person. And so we, I didn't learn about that until after that was testified to actually in court now that I, yeah, that was testified to after she testified. So here I am feeling terrible for her because she really was terrified on that stand when she said that Lori threatened to kill her. Now Archibald was like, yeah, but did you say it in the grand jury? No. And I thought that was one of the best cross exams, I think, by the way, Archibald did. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of people, they all knew what happened to zombies. Everybody knew after Charles when they're doing these prayer circles, oh, he's a zombie. We got it out. Another one got in. Boom, he's dead. So when they start talking about JJ and Tylee being zombies, why didn't somebody like Melanie Gibb call Child Protective Services and say, look, you know, um, she's talking about zombies. This is what happens. Here's the scary thing. You go back and look at the body cam footage from Charles way back in January 2019. Everything he pleaded to those investigators and those cops was testified to on that stand. And it's all a mess, but they knew what was going on. Nobody called anybody to say, I think these kids could be in danger. She's saying that he's a zombie. Look at him. Look at what he's doing. You know, um, I don't know how they lay their heads down at night. That's just, um, and hopefully, you know, maybe we're not done with the conspiracy charges because uh, to me, when somebody's putting an emoji with dead eyes, you know what's about to happen and yeah. you don't call authorities, you know, I, I don't know about the law, knowing a crime's going to be committed and you don't do nothing, but um, whether or not they conspired, I guess is a different thing. I have a feeling Melanie's story is uh, not over yet. You mentioned him. Um, I was going to bring him up later, Jim Archibald. And sometimes when you're in the courtroom, you don't have the same perspective. Same thing as like a sporting event. You know, you watch in person, you're distracted by a lot of things going on. But um, I had a lot of criminal defense attorneys on um, Gigi, and they just didn't understand Jim Archibald. They just felt like he was super lackluster, basically didn't have a defense, which they did, they brought no witnesses. I mean, even the way, even his tone in the courtroom uh, was was so monotonous, um, and it didn't appear like he was defending her. Definitely not vigorously defending her. What do you make of his, um, you know, uh, of the way he handled the case? I think Lori tied their hands behind their backs. To be honest, number one, she wanted the speedy trial. Number two, she didn't want to bring mental health as a defense in, and number three, she didn't want to throw her brother or Chad under the bus. How could they defend past that? There's not, there's nobody you can put up. Nobody, her uncle and his daughter, I believe, attended a few days, but I mean, he wasn't there to support her. She had nobody there that was on her side supporting her. So you don't call family. You can't call a mental health expert. These guys only came on what at the very end of the incompetency after Mark Means was kicked off the case. They came in smack dab in the middle of this. I, I'm going to tell you that. Her, her defense team, some of the not, funniest guys, they're great. They're very sweet. Archibald, to me, cracked me up when he said he was talking to Audrey. So, you know, Chad's saying he was the brother of Jesus in a life. You were married to Jesus. Did, did you believe it? She's like, yeah. And then he said, did he ever say, like, in the 1700s, uh, he was born a loser? And she's <laughs> like, no, he has a very dry sense of humor. But I really do think Lori made herself indefensible with the restrictions she put on. And I'm going to tell you right now, I know firsthand, she was hot to trot 
in closings when Archibald kind of threw Chad under the bus. Uh, she was not happy. And we could see it in body language. And, and I've heard that. Um, so how do you, what else is there to defend? That's, that's, that's my what, thing is. What, uh, what did you make of her body language to when he was delivering those closing arguments? What was she doing? Arms crossed, probably labeling him from light to dark on her scale. And uh, she, she looked like she could spit nails at times. She was not happy. And, um, you know, I guess she figures if she throws him under the bus, the next probation is going to be, you know, messed up. But, you know, she's got like, what, three life sentences, probably two more coming. So the next five probations are going to be in the pokey, right? She's in jail for the next five probations anyway. But, you know, I mean, I, I don't understand it. Like, why not? I think, Chad, if he takes it to trial, throw her right under the bus and then back over her again. It's every man for himself, but I just don't think Lori gave him a chance, to be honest. And I know people hate defense attorneys by default because they're defending the the bad one, but um, I, I really liked her attorneys, and I think that, you know, they just, okay, you don't want to give us anything to go with, then, you know, we'll get up and do the minimal work to make sure your constitutional rights are protected. See that? Perspective is different inside the courtroom, and, uh, you know, Gigi saw him in three dimensions, uh, and that, that can change perspective. So um, back to you, good Lori. Uh, I don't even know if you can answer this, but Mona Rifkin has another question. What evidence that was excluded, we, we even know what that is, would you have liked for jurors, observers, the public to see? Is there any way to answer that? Well, a lot of the exclusionary motions were heard outside the presence of the jury, but they were also heard um, in chambers. So it was a little bit, it's a little bit hard to answer that one. Um, I, I actually was surprised at the amount of information that came out uh, regarding Charles's murder. So the opposite of that, some of the things that came in, I thought were um, surprising. And, and I thought the extent to which they went into Charles's murder was um, was surprising. Um, I, I don't know whether anyone else has seen it or not. I just watched it before I came on, but Nate Eaton um, it interviewed one of the jurors. Yeah. Um, and interestingly enough, it was the juror that Gigi and I both paid a lot of attention to early um, in the case because he was so interesting and intense in his reactions to what was going on. But in what way? In what way? How would he react? Was that the jury was very cautious not to um, use the inter information about Charles's murder um, improperly, which I thought was pretty interesting. They, they felt, that it was important to be careful about how they applied the rules the judge had given them. That interview, Nate did a great job. The interview is fascinating and um, really worth the time to watch uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because he's an insider inside the, the, the jury on this particular case, but also because he gives some tremendous insight into what it's like to be a juror. And um, he came away saying it's very important that when you get a jury summons, you show up. So um, I, he was very impressive. And um, I, I was surprised at how focused they were. 
And what kind of reactions was he having early on? Because he says that he was the, you know, the lone juror that wasn't 100% convinced um, at the beginning. But obviously, as the trial went on, he became more and more convinced. But um, what sort of reactions was he ex expressing? He definitely said in the beginning that he was trying really hard to give her the presumption of innocence and and really, you know, make sure the state proved their case. He said that he was um, the the count that he had the most difficulty with was Lori's count conspiring to murder Tammy, which I found surprising because there's so clear cut connection to the conspiracy when when um, Alex shot at her. So 10 days earlier, there's very clear that they're having conversations about how incompetent Alex is and how he needs supervision when he, he can't do anything right. Um, so to me, that connection was made pretty firmly. But they he in particular felt that he had a little more trouble with the conspiracy on uh, to with Lori's portion of the conspiracy to, to murder Tammy. Um, he did say at the end of the interview, um, I've seen true evil um, looking at her that, that I've seen a lot of things in my life, but I think that is the first time that I've looked true evil in the face. And I thought that was, really telling comment with this person who started out by saying, you know, I really wanted to give her the benefit of the doubt. I really wanted to try hard to um, observe the, the, the conventions of her being innocent until proven guilty. And then to come to that final conclusion that she's just simply an evil person. Um, I thought was really interesting. And I thought Nate did a really good job of sort of helping tease out that progression. We uh, we had a show last night with three people who served hard time in federal uh, and state prisons. And uh, someone said we were kind of analyzing Lori and her behavior. And someone said exactly that. Why can't we just call her pure evil and maybe that is, uh, you know, the category that she resides in. Um, I saw that episode. I actually was tempted to wear my sunglasses today. <laughs> <laughs> Larry Levine. It was the Larry Levine show. I love the guy, though. Um, KS writes, Cardboard Carm is back. Uh, very short story, or as Carm likes to say, I'll make a short story long. Um, I accidentally left Carm against the wall in the bedroom facing my wife's side of the bed. And she woke up in the middle of the night and went oh. crazy, thought we had an intruder, and realized it was cardboard cutout Carm. So Carm gets us even in the middle of the night, even when she's not really here. Um, Maya says, Gigi, I love you, and thank you for your excellent coverage. Dream team, woo-hoo. Uh, <laughs> oh, good, Lori. And Gigi, woo-woo. And look at this. Uh, Gigi is such a cool chick. So there you go, followed by... Best guest ever, and yes, the good Lori, and OMG, I stayed awake for this, and Cardboard Carm, and it goes on and on. I love this duo together. So accolades for these two. Um, Thank Gigi, you, guys. Me you mentioned um, Lori Vallow's family. There was no one there. Uh, Janice Cox was kind of vocal in Sins of Our Mother. We just had Sky Borgman back on the show. 
Where was Janice Cox? Did, did anyone ever find out? I know she was at the Trader Joe's in downtown Boise. That's all I heard. Uh, she was spotted there. That was when Colby, I believe, and Summer were in town to testify. She did not come to court. She did not sit in that courtroom for a second. I never personally saw her. But, I mean, it speaks volumes. Your own mother isn't there. Um, you know, I, Summer was somebody that that I felt so bad for. I've never really been on the bandwagon of bashing anybody for defending Lori in the very early days. Uh, you do that with family, right? If my brother came to me and said, look, I had to put my kids somewhere. Somebody's after me. Um, it would be weird, but I would never think they would be in somebody's backyard. That call from Summer, I think, was one of the most powerful moments in that courtroom by far. Uh, the terror in her voice, the disbelief, the anger, the rage, it echoed off the walls. And it was just nobody moved. And I, so I just, you know, nobody came for her. But back to your question, nobody came for her. And that's very telling because they can't defend her. Her family's not supporting her. I mean, now she's just alone. The song Cleopatra by the Lumineers, that song is Lori Vallow to a T. I'll die alone. You know, I was late for this, late for the love of my life. And when I die alone, I'll, I'll be on time. But um, who would want to come there and say, I, I'm, I'm here to support you? There was one knucklehead out there, though, on Verdict Watch that said Valo Daybell is innocent. And he had like a little printout from his computer. Some people speculated it was a family member. I didn't see the resemblance, but there's always that one guy. But I don't think I saw him in the courtroom saying, she's innocent. I'm here to support her. By the way, can I just talk about one of your uh, listeners yeah. who uh, I promised um, she works at a store in downtown Boise, came up and said, I saw you on STS. I love STS. Uh, if you're watching or you watch this, please reach out to me or Joel so I can send you a sticker. I promised you. But then we have verdict. And then it was like madness. So surviving the survivor yeah. at gmail.com. You can reach me there. Yeah, I'll, please I'll, do. I'd love to send a sticker. I promised to come back. But then we have verdict. And it was like, yeah. Thank you for watching, though. Um, yes, she was very cool. Carrie G says to good Lori, you and your daughter look stunning, Lori. I saw your picture. Um, so there you go. And Thank uh, you. It was uh, quite an honor to be asked to officiate at my daughter's wedding. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. That's yeah. awesome. I didn't either. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. A lawyer. A lawyer doing the, the, the job. I love it. Um, Sarah Adams, I'm convinced Melanie's going down. Thanks for this sticker. Um, appreciate that. And uh, good Lori. We have the best uh, community in all true crime. Hannah Jensen, who I do not know, emailed me and she said, can you please ask Lori, good Lori, um, whether Judge Boyce can steal all transcripts and exhibits admitted into evidence? Um, she says, I'm aware the federal government has more latitude in sealing documents if it pertains to indictments with ongoing investigations involving, for example, espionage. She writes, and she says, it seems like Judge Boyce ought to justify such secrecy antithetical to American criminal law open to the public. Uh, I know you had a little issue there, but uh, what are your thoughts? I could not agree more. Uh, it was interesting because I was going back, looking at my original motions to unseal some of the documents and I kind of thought, Ooh, no wonder he was stung. Um, Cause uh, they weren't very complimentary. And I'm still not very complimentary. I don't believe that documents needed to be sealed to begin with. Um, there was very little that came out of the trial that wasn't already in the public purview, thanks to the uh, Arizona document dumps. 
and uh, because Arizona's rules are different than uh, Idaho's rules. Um, so Arizona was required to release all those documents because they don't have an exception for pretrial investigation. So um, it was all out there. There was very little that came out of the trial that we didn't already know. Um, certainly not uh, anything that was earth shattering. Um, so it's hard to understand why um, the judge justified sealing all those documents saying that it was required in order for her to get a fair trial. So now that her trial is over and there's been a verdict, there is really no justification for keeping them sealed. Um, but uh, I'm going to keep pressing ahead to get those documents unsealed. And, and um, I mean, he can't keep them sealed forever. Potentially, he could say, I'm not going to unseal them until Chad's trial, which seems a little silly because all that evidence has already been publicly presented. But we'll see. What's Lori, so I was going to ask you, did you see when Colby was getting off the stand? He turned and looked at his mom. That was the same look he gave Chad Daybell in that initial appearance in Rexburg. He stared at her until he hit that door. Did you notice that? Yeah, I did. It was a death stare. Now, when she... When he came in, she said, oh, my baby, or something to mm -hmm. that effect, people right. near there. But that that stare that he gave Lori was the exact same one. Go back and watch the Rexburg, if you don't know what I'm talking about. Go back and watch the Rexburg arraignment, her very first appearance there. Right. Um, no question. I don't think how, how Colby feels about his mom at this point. No, I don't think so either. And I, and I think that it was interesting that she sort of made the, oh, my baby comment, and he was not having it. Um, mm -hmm. He was stoic, didn't make a lot of eye contact with her, and he did, as he went out of the courtroom, just sort of give her the curl up and die. looks could here. kill look. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I-E-B, I guess. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's Gigi. I love her reporting. Amazing to listen to. Fabulous accent and voice. I'm not sure I'm not the yeah. only one who would just love to go for a drink with Gigi. I want to. Hey, I've been for a drink with Gigi and she's amazing. She's even yes. a bigger rock star in person. And by the oh, way, on that note, I just found out that Surviving Survivor is going to have a presence at CrimeCon 2023. Uh, we're going to be on Podcast Row. So I'm definitely reserving my spot uh, with Gigi and Good Lori for a drink. And I'm bringing Carm with me. Uh, oh, Carm I'm so excited. Carm's going to yeah. the Holy Land this summer, so I told her to haul back before Crime Con. So I'm working on that right now. That's um, great. Well, we will be there. <laughs> yes, I can't. I just bought. My, I actually bought my ticket sitting in court during a break one day. Oh. So you know, okay. I didn't get my ticket yet, but I did reserve my hotel room. <laughs> uh, I'll see, to I'm going to get a VRBO and go to Disney after with my kids. So, um, but I'll be at Long Crimes Table. So I'm super excited. Can't cool. wait. Gigi is a mom of the century right there next to my <laughs> chief technical officer, I have to say, so I don't get yelled well, at. Listen, I thought your mom's cardboard cut out the first time I was ever on the show. I was like, that woman is so good at being still. <laughs> like, she of, wins the prize. And then I realized it was a cardboard, like five minutes in. I'm like, wait, that's no, no, no. By the way, we're also debuting a wild new set. I'm finally moving into a, my own space. I cannot wait. Um, so we're going to debut that next week. And it's, uh, it's interesting. It's got a cigar bar vibe, even though I don't smoke cigars. I'll, I'll give you that. Nice. It's got a little, little hint of that. Um, so onto this, uh, 
juror. His name is uh, Saul Hernandez. He works at a bank in Boise, Idaho, we found out. Uh, both Good Morning America, a.k.a. ABC News, and I know Nate Eaton spoke to him, and I don't know who else has uh, so far. But um, he basically said that when the jury began deliberating, he was the only one unconvinced that the prosecution had proved its case, which is interesting because they only deliberated for about seven hours. But he said then, uh, Gigi, that during the trial, he found it increasingly harder to look at Lori as more and more grueling evidence emerged. Growing up, uh, he said, we're taught good and bad, God and evil. And I think it says God and evil. I don't know if they meant to write good and evil. And I think for the first time in my life, I put a face to evil. Um, it's pretty haunting and it goes to show you that that um the evidence these these autopsy and crime scene photos gg had a huge impact what was it like to see those uh in person is that something that you can ever uh remove the image from in your mind not even close i'll see those images until i take my last breath because you know you follow these cases for three three and a half years like we all have with with this one and at Chad's preliminary, we got kind of a glimpse of what we thought may be the condition of the remains. And so you sort of think in your mind, you know how bad it's going to be until you see the pictures. And then you realize it, it, it was way worse than I ever could have imagined. The The remains of Tylee, it, it, it's just, um, you know, where I was sitting the day, there were some pictures they did not show us publicly, but I was sitting on the far right side and I could see a monitor. And, you know, there's pieces of Tylee. It is, a, you can't tell that's a human. There's one picture where they piece together from like the lower spine with the pelvic bones down. Um, and you think that that was Tylee. Like that, those remains belong to her. What they did to her just is it, it, sadistic. And then you get to JJ. And then you, they they do progression photos. So it's like, they show when they breach the ground where his remains are. Then they show when they fully have excavated and show him wrapped in those garbage bags. Then they show like after he's removed and that hole was perfectly dug for the size of his body, by the way, with those uh, tree roots cut. But with JJ, um, there was no autopsy picture that was worse than the other. They, they were all horrific, but when they did the progression and they get down to removing the bag over his head, and then this from here to here is silver, and it's just duct tape. And we see that haircut that we all saw in the pictures looking for the kids, but this is silver, and this is his face is not there. And then you see how from the elbows to, to the hands with the ball around the hands, and then his little feet, you know, his ankles are wrapped. And then they take that off and there's a strip from ear to ear across his face. And then you see JJ. It, he was very recognizable. But it um, the day they showed those photos, actually, I hope there's no surveillance out front of the courthouse in this dark little corner, but I just couldn't eat lunch. It just really was unsettling. We had just seen a preview. The, the bad ones came after lunch, but it was like 6.30 at night. I'm 30 seconds from going live on Cuomo. I ripped my mic off and went in a corner and lost probably the 60 ounces of coffee I had in my belly. And I don't normally do that. Like it, I can look at crime scene photos and they're all horrific in their own right, but man, they're just, and then Tammy, um, she, she 
was the least graphic out of the three, I think, because the photos of her were right after her death and at, at the house. And then after she had been exhumed, they did that piece by piece. She looked beautiful after that. I mean, I'm not trying to say that like in a weird way, but like she just like she was sleeping to where with the kids, Tylee charred flesh and bone and JJ just, I don't, I don't know. Just it's, it, I, I watched one juror and she glanced and then she just, she couldn't look anymore. And, um, no words really just, there's no words. Terrible. And, and I tell you what, I, I'm not somebody marching in the street saying death penalty, death penalty, but this case made me think differently. I would not have been sad if she would have got it because after seeing what they did to those kids, if any case deserves it, it's this one right here. And Gigi, they, you know, she was known to uh, medicate the children, at least JJ. Uh, what, what's, what's your gut tell you? Do you think that he was in an altered state when this was done to him? Or what, what do you think? I don't. Because the only thing they found in his toxicology was what is essentially like the date rape drug. However, they did his toxicology with a, a liver sample. And that can be a naturally occurring thing during decomposition. And it was a very, very low level. Also, he had the scratches on his neck. So he was fighting them until they bound his hands. He was trying to get that bag off of his head. We do not know how Tylee died. I, I don't, did we, I think we, did we get toxicology? We did get toxicology and it was all normal things like ibuprofen and things like that. I'm a firm believer that they did the same thing to Tylee, which probably is going there in the middle of the night and, 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 make it make her immobile um because tylee clearly wasn't seven she was bigger she was an adult size young woman and um yeah it's um i can't i can't yeah. explain it the many you just said scratch marks and i don't think about you know death penalty a lot but if anyone deserves it it was probably her um yeah chad too i hope he takes it to trial and gets it yeah um, Carrie says to Gigi, can you describe what it was like locking eyes with Lori Vallow Daybell? What was that like? It was surreal. It's always surreal to sit in a courtroom with somebody who is accused of such horrific things. But, um, you know, I talked to, um, some, when I would sit on that side of the room, I would talk to their investigator. His name is Brandon. Awesome dude. Really cool guy, the defense investigator. And so I guess she thought like I was cool or something. So anytime I was sitting over that way, she would smile. Sometimes she would smile from across the courtroom. But uh, it's it's very weird. It's um, just knowing what we've known for these, especially since the document dumps and these text messages. Is like for five seconds, you're locking eyes with somebody who just is evil, and it 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 sends a chill up your spine. Same feeling I had when I sat in the Colorado theater shooter trial, and James Holmes turned around, looked right at me, and smiled. It just it's it's chill up your spine. Heavy, dark, kind of nauseating. Yeah. I unfortunately covered that, sat outside that theater for about a week uh, reporting on that. Um, to you, good Lori, uh, do you think, Cole, first of all, before we get to this question, uh, when you were talking about um, some of this, you know, documents being sealed, some of the evidence being sealed, um, I had read somewhere that even though there was that, you know, closed circuit camera for the overflow room, that none of the video from this trial will be preserved, that Judge Boyce wanted to destroy it. Is that true? That's true. Why? Why would they just... As far as I know, um, none of it was ever preserved. It was, it was live streamed into the, into the overflow room, but it wasn't, it wasn't saved in any way. 
it was all done live. And then, um, yeah, it was never intended for any of that video to be saved. Wow. Um, Sandy asked, do you think Colby will speak at sentencing, Lori? I doubt it um, because I think he has already said what he needed to say. Um, I, I think that potentially he could provide a victim impact statement, um, but I don't know that it would be particularly helpful to uh, Lori. I think it would be how this whole thing has impacted him as a victim. Um, to you, Gigi, from Silly, I can't, Sealy, I can't read anymore. Are they going to release Tylee and JJ so they can be laid to rest? That's hard to believe that the bodies um, are, you know, still in the custody, I guess, of the state. Um, do we know anything about this? I really haven't heard anything. Um, I, you know, I guess it might depend on their evidence, unfortunately. And But, you know, that is such a heavy, heavy burden for this family is that it's it's just unresolved. And to know where these children are, um, anytime they think about it, I, I gosh knows I hope it's, it's soon. Lori, have, what do you think? I mean, do you think they'll have to wait till after Chad, which, as we know now, is going to be at least a year away, over a year? So um, uh, as far as I know, unless something happened in the last day or so, um, Chad's trial hasn't been set yet. I know that um, John Pryor has been encouraging or, or sort of um, pro pushing for it to be in June of next year. Yeah. Um, I don't know that the judge is going to go that far out, but we'll see. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's set if late this year. Um, I have not heard the last I heard the, the state was declining to release the children's remains until they were sure that the defense wasn't going to ask for, for more tests or, uh, an independent autopsy. So I don't know where that stands. Yeah, where's he going to get the money for an independent autopsy? He deeded his house over to John Pryor. Um, what's he going to do? Start a GoFundMe? I mean, really, give the kids. We to, don't know where you he's know, gotten the family for the for the DNA experts that he's hired, or the investigator he's hired, or the mitigation person he's hired. We don't know. Yeah. So, I, hopefully soon. I mean, it's it's been long enough. They've had their time to do their independent autopsy. So let's all cross our fingers that uh, these families can have a proper burial because that is a burden that will take a weight off of them. It doesn't make it better, but it, it gives some finality to know that, you know, they're at rest the way they should have been buried. They shouldn't have been killed, but to give them a proper burial and to pay respects to who they were and not how they were killed right. will do wonders for, I think, the hearts of the family. So hopefully soon. And Gigi just traumatized me with the, the nail. I knew about the nail marks, but the way Gigi... Uh, gesticulated that it is going to haunt me now tonight. So thanks, Gigi. Um, Rhonda yeah, Gaines says, I went to Boise in the fifth week of the trial, saw both Gigi and the good Lori and was fangirling so hard. I couldn't even introduce myself. You should have said hello. What is <laughs> up with that? Like that was my, that was the best part of the whole trial was meeting everybody. Seriously I for agree. me, it just to be able to put like faces to people who might leave a comment. Girl, Okay, next time, like, I don't care what I'm doing. You come tap, 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 because I'm, I'm showing up for Chad. Hey, come on. Uh, 
Bo- both these too. women are approachable. We're not talking about Bill O'Reilly here. We <laughs> nicknamed Black God, I hope not. Um, at Fox News. My mom's going to yell at me saying I'm being political, but I worked at Fox News Channel. Not the nicest guy. Uh, Sarah Adams says, uh, Evening, Mrs. Hellis. Free bird at Gigi. Thank you, ladies. Thank you for this. Um, we're going to get to sentencing in one moment, but I just wanted to finish this up with um, good Lori. So, um, Saul Hernandez, this juror who spoke out today, um, he said one of the pivotal moments for him was when he saw these pictures of her in Hawaii. And he said, I just couldn't believe how someone can be that happy when your kids are in the ground. And the person that was key in all of this is sitting across from you, smiling at you and dancing with you uh, on the beach. Um, That's pretty heavy because we talked a lot about Lori's uh, behavior, um, you know, at the defendant's table, and and she was cackling a lot. And obviously the jurors saw that, right, Lori? Yeah, her demeanor was interesting. Um, uh, You know, it's really hard to say how much of that was the variations in her medication. We know that she's medicated. There was a, at one point, there was a court order that said that the she could be forcibly medicated. So we know that she's maintained, her mental health is being maintained to some extent by medication. So it's really hard to know what part of that is the sort of peaks and valleys of her medication, but she would lean over and chuckle and laugh with her lawyers and um, sometimes get sort of giggly and, and flirty with them. And um, and then at other times she would be really like shut down stoic. Um, so, I mean, very hard to tell what of that demeanor was really her, what part of it was her lawyers trying to, trying to, uh, um, do a little client control. What part of it was her medication? Yeah, it's hard to say, but, um, she was all over the board. Sorry, I'm getting attacked by a cat on like with shorts on. And it's okay. just like, um, yeah. Um, it's, par, it's par for the SDS you know, course. Speaking of medication, when the day that Lori did not want to sit in there for the, the showing, we had had a little preview before lunch of, of the crime scene photos. You know, I turned to Lauren Mathias and I said, something's up. When she came back in from lunch, she had a red face genuinely looked upset. I don't know if maybe they showed her those pictures over lunch to prepare her. Maybe she hadn't seen them, but then all of a sudden they go back behind. There's a door kind of next to where judge Boyce sits and all the bailiffs went back there. We were in the courtroom without a single bailiff, which I've never seen happen. And then about 30 minutes later, once testimony had resumed and they were going through the photo, she goes to sleep. And I fully believe they forced medicated her back there uh, because she never had any problem staying awake any other day of six-week trial. It was just that moment. And I'm really glad that Judge Boyce made her stay, even if she dozed. Well, actually, when we had to stand for the jury, they had to nudge her. But um, just the fact that she didn't wiggle out of the reality of it. But I do think that maybe they took those bailiffs by speculation on my part, but I've never seen that many people go back there. And then, you know, 30 minutes later, she's like chin to chest. And, and that's what I was, I was going to ask you about that fateful day. Um, it was a few weeks in. 
they show all the crime scene photos, autopsy photos, and then she basically has uh, what we describe as a meltdown from your reporting where she's, she asked to uh, be excused from the court. And again, Judge Boyce, like you said, denied uh, that request. But what was she prior to dozing off from the medication, which is what a lot of people spent? Some people said she was sleeping. Others just said she had her eyes shut. But how erratic was she leading up to, you know, when they had to basically escort her out to calm her down? Not, I mean, not that erratic. I, I think that um, she did not look at the photos of the remains very much. I did see her glance a couple of times on the defense monitor when they were showing JJ's remains. I don't know that I ever saw her looking at Tally, but sometimes you can be in that courtroom and it's hard to see maybe somebody's head's in the way. A lot of times the prosecution's monitor was in the way, so I'm kind of like doing this, trying to look at her. But just there was no pure emotion when those remains were shown. I mean, no tears. It was more of, I felt like, I don't want to have to sit here with 70 plus people, including the grandparents of JJ, um, looking at me with his body on the screen or Tylee's body or Tammy's body. I think that was more the emotion than like, I don't want to see their remains. That's just me because, I mean, like Lori Hellas, the good Lori just said, um, her emotions were giggling 30 seconds after graphic stuff had been shown. And we're all just kind of like, heck, you know, medicated or not. I mean, I've, I've been loopy before on medications, but you know, something serious is shown to me. It's going to, it's going to like, it's not like they were giving her like anesthesia. So I, she just, every reaction to me was so opposite of what a normal person would react to. And that's what I saw for six weeks solid. Gigi, what about take us into the courtroom as the verdict was being read? How tense was it? And what did you make of the crossed arm posture? Uh, it was tense. Uh, just, you know, I wrote up actually with Lindsay Blake, who, by the way, rock started the day after her dad died. She did a flawless direct on Melanie Gibb. Uh, didn't miss a beat. And uh, some of the investigators, and there was just a nervous energy. Then all the investigators took up that middle section. I mean, there were rows of investigators and they, on one hand, they looked very confident in their investigation and what they came up with to present to this jury. On the other hand, there's always the nerves, but the tension as the, you know, for me, as the um, clerk of court is reading it, it's like two paragraphs before you actually get to the verdict. It was a lot of leg tapping. It was just so quiet, so quiet in there. Lori looked anxious and then as soon as she got that first guilty, she just looked ticked. Like, how dare you? And uh, she, you know, arms stayed folded. And then, you know, she what, what was interesting was she always looked at the jury when they would walk in, for the most part, except for the day they showed the remains. On verdict, she was trying to read them as they came in. When they filed in, you had the, uh, let's see, there were alternates behind. All but one of the alternates came back for that verdict. They were sitting behind her. And then, but she watched them walk in. I think she was trying to read, what are they about to say? In Lori's mind, I, I, I'm sure she probably thought, they're about to say I can leave, you know, but it wasn't that way. And then um, the air in the room got so much lighter after that first guilty on conspiracy for Tylee. That was the first one they read out. And we knew it was going to be guilty for, for JJ for the same. I do have to say Tammy Daybell was the one I thought they would get hung up on if anything, but then common sense comes into play. And if you're searching for Malachite rings and wedding dresses before either one of your spouses are dead, um, you probably knew it was coming. So, uh, very much tense and then just like weight lifted 
with one word and that was guilty. And, and then they kept coming. Yeah, and some people said that they thought it was a, a Mormon prayer pose, which is similar to what she was doing, but you're supposed to have your head down, which she didn't, and the consensus. Yeah, she looked at my three-year-old when I said no. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. just, you know. <laughs> um, so back to this, good Lori. Um, what are the options Judge Boyce has when deciding Lori's sentencing? And can you also talk a little bit about uh, this pre-sentencing investigation where they have to look into her background, her criminal record, her mental health record? And is that why it takes three months now till she's sentenced? So it's interesting. Um, states vary on their sentencing schemes. And so we have determinate sentencing, which is also sometimes called mandatory sentences. And we have indeterminate sentencing. Idaho does not have mandatory sentencing. What that means is that judges have a bit more leeway than um, in mandatory sentencing, determinant sentencing states. So because of that, we um, judges usually ask for pre-sentence investigations. So if you remember the discussion about um, <clears throat> the mitigation or the sentencing phase, it had this continued to be a death penalty case. If it had been a death penalty case, we would have had this sentencing phase where they would have had the opportunity to put on mitigating information about Lori's past or or things that would sort of tip the scale in her favor um, toward uh, maybe the judge saying, I'm not going to impose the death penalty. Well, a pre-sentence investigation is sort of like a mini version of that proceeding. So what happens is that you have someone who is appointed by the court. Generally, they are from um, parole and probation section of, of, uh, of the county. And they investigate Lori's background, her mental health, her, her um, medical issues. They, they investigate her childhood, her education, um, military service, if there's any, any of those issues come up and they outline them in a, in a pretty thorough report. So we're talking about a report that's probably going to run 30 to 50 pages um, reporting on information about her. Now that report is sealed and that is not anything that will ever be available to the public in any way just like her mental health evaluations and um, some of the other things that appropriately were sealed by the court. Um, but the judge will take those that information into account when determining what the sentence will be. The judge has the option of sentencing her to life without parole or something less, which would be a life sentence with the eligibility for parole in in a fixed amount of time. So potentially 25 years would be the point that she would be eligible for parole. Now in Arizona, people have asked about Arizona. Arizona has determinate sentencing. So they have more of the mandatory sentencing scheme. And in Arizona, conspiracy to commit murder does not carry the death penalty the way it does in Idaho. So the charges that she's facing in in uh, Arizona um, will not 
that won't be available for them. So there isn't an option for them to seek the death penalty on those charges. And, and by the way, Lori, uh, shout out to Justin Lum, um, who should be credited with the Brandon Boudreaux indictment. But, um, you know, some media outlets announced it as though it was just decided. Uh, but this happened back in, I think, 2022, right? But uh, Justin just reported. Is that correct? No, actually, what happened was the the indictment for Charles w came out in in February of 2022. But my understanding is Brandon's indictment just just came down. Am I wrong? Mm -mm. I think. Yeah, because it, it's dated on the bottom. It, it might have been the same time or around the same time they did Charles. But the date on the bottom of the indictment for uh, for Brandon was February of last year. Huh. Okay. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm almost well, sure. Yeah. It, I'm just curious why why does it you know, why does it take what why are we only finding out about it now with uh, you know, strong reporters out there. Obviously Justin Lum has been uh on this case from the beginning. Yeah. It was uh dated February twenty fourth, twenty twenty two. Um and the indictment remains sealed. Um, um actually the uh indictment was just unsealed one minute. Justin Lum tweeted one minute ago. It was unsealed and it was dated to February 24th of 2022. And that was through a grand jury. Wow. So Lori, what will looking at that tell us? Uh, looking at, you know, now that it's been unsealed, because even this, you know, when I went to air with this, it was still sealed. I guess it was just unsealed. But what can we find out, uh, if anything, from looking at that? Well, I I think they probably kept it sealed because they didn't want to release information that could be um that could impact the Idaho case. So, I think all along Arizona has been pretty as careful as they could be not to release information that would um impact the the Idaho case. So, um, I think that's probably why it remains sealed. Um, but it's hard to say what the thought process was um, in deciding to keep it sealed. And uh, Gigi, what do you think of the uh, Braids mugshot when you saw it? She was channeling either like a washed up Pippi Longstockings or Willie Nelson. I can't decide. It's kind of a competition between the two. What I think is interesting is that her wedding band was holding one of her braids. Mm -hmm. We know she wore that wedding band to court one day or like wrapped five times, probably one for each husband. But, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, look, she is the product of of no Botox. And I, look, I don't get petty. I don't like knocking even evil people on looks. It's just, you know, but whatever. But I am with her. Um, man, boy, the, the pokey has not been kind to her. No Botox. Um, she just looks clueless and empty. It's like a shell, um, a grin. You just got convicted of murdering your two kids and an innocent woman, you know, your your husband's former wife, and you're going to grin with you. And that's how she gets her curls, by the way. I thought she wrapped them around the prison bars or the jail bars, but apparently she braids. But, you know, um, what's going to happen is this. We're going to see a few more of these, hopefully, for Arizona. And then she'll fade into the abyss once all this is settled, like Jody Arias. It was all Arias all the time. That was the first case I covered doing true crime. And now you never hear about her. And I cannot wait for the day where Lori Vallow's name is not in the headlines and I don't have to talk about her anymore. Um, yeah, but man, it, you know, it, what a, 
What a difference than that Hawaii video with her little blue bikini and the latest mugshot, right? Yeah, that day is coming sooner because news cycles move much faster now, um, and she will be forgotten about. And we had those uh, people who spent time in prison last night, and across the board, they say that uh, while memory of her might fade, it won't in the prison system, and she has a target on her back for the rest of her life. Um, Larry Levine, who can be a little harsh, said he he hopes to see her disemboweled, while the two women uh, say that, you know, maybe she can somehow, you know, find God or, or come to a, one of the people thought that uh, she will have some sort of mental break, realizing at some point what she did, and it will be even more difficult for her. But any which way you slice it, her future is really dim. Um, Back to you, Gigi, from Dawn Shackelford. Uh, I know you know some of the family members. Does anyone know how Colby is doing? I worry about him. Followed by, thank you so much, Janet, becoming a new member. But any word on uh, Colby? No word on Colby. I, it's been very quiet with, with him after all of that last year. Um, I'll tell you by his demeanor when he was on the stand, I think Colby's got a lot of weight on him. And it's it's a weight that he didn't choose to have put on him much like everybody else affected by this case. But um, it, to me, it seems like, you know, Colby's struggling. He lost his entire family. He lost his mom and his siblings. And um, it's got to be hard. And by the way, I'm sorry, Willie Nelson. I didn't mean to insult you that way, dude. It just yeah, came Will, out. Willie looks way better. By the way, <laughs> yeah. 90, 90 years old and he's still touring. Um, you know, he wrote the song Crazy, sung by Patsy Cline. Oh, yeah? I did not know he that. He did. I saw him in concert um, just before we moved out of Bend, Oregon, and uh, he appeared at the amphitheater. And I am telling you what, I, I hope and pray I have. I don't have that much energy now. Um, he's he's amazing. Uh, yeah, he's yeah. wild. I guess yeah. uh, marijuana is a wonder drug. Um, Apparently, <laughs> Sarah Adams to Mrs. Hellis. Uh, do you think Melanie is in deep? I know we discussed her, but what's your take on her? BG uh, gave us hers. And shout out to Jennifer, became a YouTube member. I love it. You know, I think Melanie was in deep. Anybody who marries somebody 10 days after they, they meet them because uh, their prophet told them to, I, I think they're in pretty deep. Um, whether or not... Um, whether or not there's enough evidence to hold her responsible for some of this, I just, I don't think it's clear yet. I haven't seen it. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but I think we haven't seen it yet. Uh, Oma writes, hello from Holland. We are a global show. Gigi, do you think that Lori is the mastermind, the alpha in this terrible crime? There's been debate. Is it Chad? Is it Lori? Is it Lori? Is it Chad? Is it Chad? It's Lori. What say you? You know, the juror actually in that interview had a very interesting take on that. And he thought in the beginning, Chad was more of the manipulator. But as the trial progressed and the evidence was presented, he felt like Lori took the wheel. And I think Lori wanted everything. And, and Lori, throughout her life, got what she wanted. Pretty much every time. She wiggled her way out of a lot of tight situations with law enforcement. I think she thought this would be no different. Um, I, I, I really think it was 50, 50. I think they fed off each other. I like they were just, um, 
I always say fire and gasoline are like a tornado when two of the raw, I always say the wrong elements come together and make a destructive path. I think it, it took the both of them to get to where we are. Uh, clearly before Chad, Lori had not killed her kids. She was off her rocker. Not a good mom from what we learned from the custody battle, but her kids were alive and pretty well taken care of, according to family, um, who said that she was a good mom until she just wasn't. And um, so, you know, I, I really do. I think that Chad got off on the fact he was able to convince a bunch of knuckleheads that, you know, he was the brother of Jesus and they bought it. And I think that Lori had this illusion of grandeur with her Texas pageant and her Wheel of Fortune appearance. And she wanted to be somebody really important. And this finally was her moment with Chad. And so I think it was just 50-50. I think at times maybe she was in charge at times he was. I don't think one any more than the other, honestly. Wheel of Fortune, uh, you better watch out for that show because we started True Crime very recently with the Dan Markell murder. And the mastermind of that is supposed to be Donna Adelson, the ex-mother-in-law. She appeared on Wheel of Fortune, too. How weird is that? She might see her day in court. That happened in 2014, and the ex-brother-in-law is only going on trial uh, sometime in October. So the wheels of justice can move slowly. Uh, this comment kind of made me laugh. Squeaky wheel. Joel, could you do an informal poll to see how many ladies here in the chat would be willing to be pen pals and swap love letters with Chad Daybell, much like some women are doing with Brian Koberger? We need to know. She asked, not me. Um, meanwhile, speaking of Brian Koberger, uh, we are doing a show about it tomorrow night. Papa Bear, hello from Moscow, Idaho. Justice has started. Of course, an indictment was handed down in that case. Uh, we hope it continues in this tragic saga and also here in Moscow tomorrow night. And I'll remind you again uh, in a few minutes when we sign off, we have Carrie Rawson, super smart, uh, best-selling author, the daughter of BTK. Uh, she's coming on to speak about this tomorrow night with Kevin Fixler, who is the investigative reporter with the Idaho Statesman. And as, if that is not enough, we also have Gene Fisher who's a prosecuting attorney in Ada County for 33 years to talk about this grand jury indictment, how the grand jury works and help us all understand it. All of us who are not legal minds like the good Lori Ellis. Um, Gigi, do you think if uh, somehow magically Lori Vallow did not get caught and she went on to her sixth husband uh, or seventh husband, do you think she would have continued to kill that's a good question. I, I think it, I don't know. I mean, I really do just think that Lori was like this little ember that was starting to burn. And then Chad was the gasoline. I think if she had have stayed with Charles um, and just resisted Chad, we wouldn't be here today. I think it was just her thinking in her mind, he's this prophet um, that drove, I, I think it's a combination of the religious stuff in her head. I think it's a money, sex, power, all of that. Um, but no, I don't know that Lori would have just been a mass murderer if she had never met Chad. I really don't. If she hadn't got caught, um, my I'm fully convinced if they hadn't have killed the kids, killed the kids, they would not have got caught. It wasn't until that welfare check and the attempt on Brandon also, where they started putting two and two together and saying, Whoa, like, okay, Charles Ballow's dead. We got missing kids. Tammy Daybell was dead, you know, or no, Brandon got shot at a week before Tammy Daybell. And then he Googles Daybell and finds out she's dead. That's when things really ramped up. So if I think if they hadn't killed, killed the kids, they would have never got caught. But I don't know that she would have just kept killing people. I mean, 
these were obstacles and the obstacles were the four of them. And so I don't think random people would have been obstacles. Um, vintage mama of three. Thank you so much. Yay. Love Gigi and good Lori. And look at that. She became a YouTube member as well. We'll wrap in just a few minutes because I think Gigi's cat might be attacking her leg still. Oh, there you go. What's the cat's this name right here? What's her, what's her name or his name? That's Achilles. My daughter was into Greek mythology when we got the cats and named Madonna's and Achilles. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I like cats, but they scare me a little bit. Uh, I prefer dogs. I'm a dog guy. Um, but I, Still love. I love all animals. I'm a big, big, big uh, animal lover. Um, so good, Lori. Um, we just saw all the evidence in court. Uh, John Pryor was in there every day. Uh, we now know he owns Chad's house, essentially, and probably more. But where does Chad's defense, if you were defending him, uh, how do you begin now to prepare for your case? Well, a lot of it is going to depend on whether Chad is limiting um, uh, his defense the same way that Lori did. I suspect he's not. I mean, nothing indicates that he's told his lawyer things are off limits. So um, I, I think we're going to see the uh, I was uh, overwhelmed by the femme fatale. Uh, defense. I really do. And um, I, I think we're going to see him claim he was set up and it was all Lori and Alex. And I, I think that's where his, that's the only place his defense can really go. Yep. And, and Stephanie is asking you, good Lori, are you waiting for the Arizona portion of this to conclude before finishing your book? I'm not. Um, I think that there is enough information um, that has come out already about what happened in Arizona that I, I don't see the need to wait until those cases are resolved to finish the book. And how about this question for you too? North Carolina sailed on. If you haven't discussed already, Scott Reich feels pretty strongly that the prosecution really screwed up with not citing the correct statute in the indictment. The good Lori's thoughts. There was some issue and Judge Boyce kind of admonished mm -hmm. Uh, the prosecution team saying you had all this time. Why is there this screw up? But what does it mean in terms of an appeal? And is an appeal coming? Well, absolutely, there's an appeal coming. Um, they'd be foolish not to file one. And I think there are several uh, bases for the appeal. I think that Judge Boyce bailed them out of what could have been a fatal flaw in their case. Um, and you know, the defense is going to go back to the appeals court and say, excuse me, but <laughs> the judge bailed them out of this fatal flaw. Um, I, it's been pointed out that there were several times where both defendant, defense attorneys asked for a bill of particulars. A bill of particulars is kind of an odd animal. In some states, it is um, codified into the statute that you can ask the prosecution to make more definite or more certain the, the basis of the charges. Um, it, it, isn't, it isn't codified in Idaho, and so the judge denied their motions. But the reason they were asking that is because they understood that the wrong statute had been pled. And they were trying to get the defense to, or the prosecution, 
to make clear which of the statutes they were actually um, basing the charges on. So it's, it is it is going to be the basis. I think that's going to be one basis. I think they're certainly going to press the issue of the 41 days that that exceeded her speedy trial rights and certainly going to have conversations about uh, uh, about the indictment. So I think there are, and about the 404B character evidence coming in Charles Vallow's murder. I think those three issues are, are probably going to be the ones that, that an appellate attorney is going to jump right on. So, and it, it, very, it will be very unlikely that it will be her current trial attorneys. Usually uh, appellate attorneys are appointed who that's what they do. Um, so, and they'll be going back over the record. And so what the next step would be is they would file a notice of appeal and then they would ask for a transcript to be made. The transcript could take up to a year to create a, a six week trial a written transcript could take a long time and then they'll go from there. And Teresa is asking you, uh, is the state of Idaho, do you think willing to make a deal with Chad? Oh, I think absolutely. Uh, the prosecution doesn't want to try this case again. I think there are some serious equal protection uh, challenges that could come up because of them taking the, the death penalty off the table for Lori and then going after it for Chad on the exact same facts. So I think there's a variety of reasons why the prosecution may be very willing to make a deal. I really think that they're waiting to see what Lori's sentence is. And then I think what will happen is they will make the uh, an offer of the same sentence for Chad. Shout out to Michelle Burns, who became a new member. We appreciate that. I'll wrap in just a few. The questions keep coming in now. Uh, Gigi Squeaky Wheel says, six or eight months ago, Melanie P. was charged with fraud for accessing Brandon's uh, bank account. Literally the next day, the charges were dropped. Do we know why? I, I personally do not know. Do you know, Lori? Well, I've speculated, but I don't know anything firmly. I have speculated that they used them uh, in order to, uh, put pressure on her to, to, um, provide evidence. And, uh, good Lori, will you be moving back to Arizona for all the action there? I only wish that that were the case, but <laughs> probably not. And then um, sensory combustion, uh, Lori, does anyone benefit from an Arizona conviction victims? Uh, why, why if they're going to probably spend the rest of their lives, um, in prison, what does this do? Uh, does it give justice, a modicum of justice to other victims? Well, I want to point out that um, we have talked a great deal about the impact that JJ's death had on Kay and Larry. But let's remember that Charles and, and Kay were very close brother and sister. And Kay has said from the outset that she, she is, is as intent on getting justice for Charles as they have been for uh, getting justice for JJ. So I really, I think that it would be disrespectful on the part of 
of the state of Arizona to say, oh, we already got her and she's in prison forever. And we're just going to let her slide on the murder of Charles Vallow. Um, I, I, and I, I don't see a prosecutor ever taking that approach. Not to mention the fact that nothing in the law is ever certain. And every prosecutor is going to want a belt and suspenders. So they're going to want that additional conviction so that if for some unlikely reason um, the the charges in Idaho were to be overturned, she would still have to serve her sentence in Arizona. Uh, Gigi, to you, Dawn Shackelford, was Annie Cushing there for the verdict? And she has an open invitation on the show, by the way. Uh, she was not, but Annie Cushing has been... Uh, battling some illness and she was there for a few weeks with her beautiful daughter. I mean, this girl, I dropped dead gorgeous. She looks like she stepped out of the forties. Like that was kind of her vibe. Uh, very friendly. It was very hard for them when they were there. Uh, lots of tears shed, but I do believe that um, she was back home, um, you know, trying to keep herself well. Uh Sweet lady, and uh, man, the loss of Tylee for her, just and her brother. Which, uh, if Lori didn't kill Joe Ryan with her own hands, she killed him in another way, just breaking his heart for all those years, denying him a relationship with with Tylee. So much like Kay and Larry, Annie's lost too to this woman, and so hopefully she gets well soon, and and um, you know, um, and find some peace. Uh, she was very nice. That was the first time I'd, I'd ever met her. Her and her daughter both, but no, they, they were not there for verdict. She did tweet out uh, her gratitude to the prosecutors and just to justice. So um, I know she was happy that it was served. Gigi and Lori know every nook and cranny of this case. Uh, Gabriella Heisel with a super sticker. I think that's what you call these. Lori will be surprised to find out that the second coming is actually the prosecutor in Arizona coming for her again. That is a great point. Um, Gigi McKelvey, you know I'm not letting you go without discussing the storm. Um, those text messages, by the way, uh, I'm just thinking of the storm first. I just the storm. It sounds like a wrestler. It yeah. sounds like something like you would see on a wrestling match. But. The storm was grip. But I was reading these text messages. I could not believe the insanity of the way they were speaking to each other as grown-ass adult. What did you make yeah. of it? And uh, what about the fact that they were using the storm as a bit of a euph euphemism for Chad's you-know-what? Well, you know, as we say here in the South, when it looks like we're going to get a really bad storm and it doesn't, it kind of just fizzles out, right? Or it petered out. The storm petered out. I could go all night, Joel. Don't get me started. Thank God I was on Law and Crimes Dime because my Twitter would have been full of storm means, you know, you, you have to find some humor in this very dark case. Uh, I could have gone my whole life without knowing what Chad called um, his little Chad Jr. or whatever. But, um, man, there were some snickers in that courtroom. I had to bite until I tasted blood not to just bust out laughing. Um, and then Lori was kind of like, you know, remembering the storm, you know, the great storm of 2019 because she was smiling. Um, Lord have mercy, y'all. Really, it's like teenagers, not even teenagers, just like, you know, the first hormones hit and you try to be like, I'm going to write a story to you. And, you know, the erotic epic fell loin fire came in and all that stuff. I'll just say this, man. Chad uh, sounded like a 12-year-old boy 
Yeah, yeah, he sure did. I'm thinking of that meme. Every time there's supposed to be a bad storm or it's forecast and it doesn't happen, people put that meme up of like a lawn chair toppled over. That reminds oh, me. Yeah. That reminds you of Chad Storm. Anyway, oh, yeah. Lori Hellis is a force of nature. She's an author and a retired criminal defense attorney. She moved, as we know, to Boise, Idaho, uh, not to move back to Arizona again, although she wants to, to help write her book titled "Children of Darkness and Light," which is also the name of her YouTube channel. Her blog is called The Lori Vallow Story, and she is awesome. Any uh, final thoughts? And you're coming back tomorrow for our Patreon and YouTube member meet and greet. But uh, where does this all go from here, Lori Hellis? Uh, I'm super excited that I'm going to get to meet Carm finally and uh, that Gigi and I are going to join you tomorrow. Um you, you know, I think you're right. Uh, I think the news cycle moves fast and people are going to move on. Um, but I think that there will always be the why question, which is why I'm writing a book and why people are interested in Gigi's podcast and in SDS, because it is an incomprehensible crime. We just don't understand how someone could do this to two beautiful children. And um, so I, I think we're all still going to be looking for answers. And we're going to be looking for your book. When, when's it coming out? 2024? Uh, September of next year. September of 2024. Keep an eye out for it. By the way, I heard that, uh, incredibly, that Chad's books are still for sale on Amazon. Did you hear that, Gigi? Yeah, I think until he's convicted, um, they'll keep him up. I mean, I, I think that's the reason until there's been a conviction. And can I just say, I was not laughing at Lori Hellis. I'm laughing at the viewers with their storm comments. I did tweet out riders on the storm. As soon as that was said in court though, I could not resist. So, <laughs> so I, I will um, chime in on Chad's books. When, when Chad declared bankruptcy, he, as part of the bankruptcy, the bankruptcy trustee turned all of his books over to a distributor. And so the distributor is still trying, I think, to recoup their losses or, or, and, and so the book is still available. My understanding is there were a lot of people who complained to Amazon when the books were available and they said, until there's a conviction, we won't remove them. Yeah. yeah. And I'm going to tell you right now, let me just save you. Um, don't waste your time. I read one foot in the grave as some research and um, I wanted to go jump in traffic. It was, uh, yeah. it, it's literally like a, like a 12 year old. Again, here we are back to 12 year old, you know, doing a sixth grade creative writing project. Right. It was so bad. Well, I took a bullet for the team because I have read uh, Julie Rowe and I've read Melanie Gibb and I've read. Wow. <laughs> Wow. John Pontius and all of the other wackadoodles out there. I spent all summer with them, including <laughs> Chad's books. So, I've sorry, my it. Chad voice just um, oh, yeah. somebody Sarah commented. It just comes out. But let's hear it. Let's it. hear it. Let's hear it. I can't do it now. See, I can't do it. It's just like <laughs> we'll, we'll get you. I'll get you to do it on the tail end. But for oh those who gosh. don't know, Gigi McKelvey is host of the popular true crime podcast Pretty Lies and Alibis. One of my favorite names. Uh, she spent six weeks in Boise, Idaho, only missing one day of this trial to go to a Taylor Swift concert with her daughter. Uh, she was working for Law and Crime uh, and doing a lot of stuff for News Nation. She's produced over 50 podcasts 
just on this alone. What about Chad's kids, Gigi? Um, they seem to think he's innocent. There was an interview with him. Um, what's going on? Yeah, there? I think I think the thing to remember about that interview is that was before we got the documents from Chandler and Gilbert. So very little was known about the communication between Chad and Lori, which if by now that this trial has happened, they don't understand that their dad killed their mom and their dad was having an affair and he was writing uh, middle school smut to his goddess lover who was a translated being, then there's no hope. I have heard a couple of them are not as supportive as they were, but they've been silent and their burden is heavy as well. They didn't ask for this. Um, you know, I feel bad for his kids, but that interview was way before a lot of things came out. So I think it, it's easy to say, not my dad. Um, but now, you know, if they're still saying he was set up, I think there's some problems. Uh, Gigi, STS Nation is rallying. Squeaky wheel, Joel, you need to have Gigi do her Chad voice when he's talking to Lori about the loin fire story. It's the bomb, man. Followed by Gigi, do your Chad voice before you go. They are begging. Oh, my gosh, Give us a hint. Give us a hint. Give us a little hint. Come on. Hello, Melanie. It's almost like Hannibal Lecter, you know, like uh, Silence of the Lamb. He's like, hello, Melanie. Hello, sweet Melanie. Or, or he's like, the storm is coming for you, Lori. The storm is brewing. Grip the storm. Grip the storm. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I hear there's a storm coming your way, Lori. I don't know. It's almost like he, I don't know. It just, it just comes out when I'm doing the podcast. Like, I'm not trying to make fun, but then he just is so monotone and creepy, so. It just comes out. And then I do Lori and Zulema at times, too. What's Lori yeah. sound like? What's Lori sound oh, like? She's just like, oh, my gosh, Chad. Wow. Like, I love this storm. I love storms. Summer storms are my favorite. Oh, gosh, y'all. Can you even believe this is real life? Like, this is just, you can't make this stuff up. I feel like Gigi would have been an incredible, like, rock DJ. Like, in the I'm, I Look, the that is my dream job. My yeah. dream job is to be like a radio host of 70s, 80s, 90s. Yeah, that would already, be... You're already doing it. You got Pretty Lies and Alibis and you're that's kicking right. ass. So it's all good. It's all good. Listen, it's great to have Lori and Gigi. I'd keep them on for hours, but they would be mad at me. Uh, but we will be back tomorrow for Patreon and YouTube members. And Gigi says she's going to hop on 5 p.m. Eastern time. And then 7 p.m. Eastern tomorrow... Kerry Rawson, the daughter of BTK, coming on to fill us in about Brian Koberger, along with Kevin Fixler of the Idaho Statesman, along with Gene Fisher, the prosecuting attorney in Ada County. And then a quick programming note, because Phil is retired and he spends half the year in Hawaii, Great Scott, it's your true crime Phil, will now move to 5 p.m. Eastern time on Friday. So we will catch you then. Until then, love you, America. Love you, South Carolina. Love you. Idaho. Love you, Arizona. Love you, Australia. Love you, everyone. Love you, England. Love you, whoever I missed. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and... The chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, 
Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.